Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. One regular day at Barclays, that's all I ask for, never gonna happen. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and to run the rule over a weekend of late goals, bad tackles, VAR drama and weird neck touching, I'm joined by Phil Costa. Hello. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. So it was a great weekend for the, if you did that on the street you get sent to prison brigade, wasn't it? <laughs> Lots to unpack. Lots, Lots to, unpack, to unpack, yeah. I was thinking you never get people coming up to you saying in the street saying if you throw that cup of coffee on the floor in a football pitch you'd get sent off, do you? <laughs> Maybe maybe that's how we bring orders to the streets, have like retired referees on patrol dishing out red and yellow cards for antisocial behaviour. <laughs> Ref watch. <laughs> it's just like what? this constant thirst for, ugh, it's just like the, the little guy stashed in the corner on BT. And oh yeah, yeah. They got, they got that show on Sky Sports now on a Monday morning. It's just like, my God, leave it alone, lads. Seriously. And it's only going to get worse, isn't it? Oh yeah. People have to be angry. (laughs) Well, there is a lot to unpack, as you said. Uh, We're going to start this week at Goodison Park, where Liverpool were denied a late winner in the Merseyside derby by one of the most infuriating offside decisions yet. Uh, But before we get into that, I want to talk about Jordan Pickford's nasty challenge on Virgil van Dijk. Uh, Joel, should Pickford have been sent off, sent to prison, executed or worse? (laughs) Put him in the stocks. Um, (laughs) Nasty's the word, isn't it? I mean, it wasn't great. Uh, I... I've tried. To, I've looked back at it plenty of times since, and I, you know it doesn't. It doesn't get any better with each watch. And the thing is, he, he should have been sent off. I mean, at, at the time, obviously, you're watching it, and and you're tense anyway as a fan watching the game of football, and and especially when it's, it's the sad derby, and I'm jumping up and, and and calling for to be sent. But after a couple of seconds, I'm thinking, well, it's given offside, so. That surely means he can't be sent off because the game's dead. But then it, it turned out afterwards that that wasn't the case. He, he could have been sent off. It's just that VAR and 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 the people running the referee running VAR at the time just did not deem it a, a, a red card offence, which which is absolutely diabolical decision, really. But I, I can I can maybe you can sort of make a case for why he's not been sent off in that in that case. It, obviously, it would not have been a penalty or anything like that. It's just it's just a horrendous challenge, and, and you know I don't think anyone should be. Claiming him to, he's done that on purpose because I don't think a professional would would hurt intentionally hurt and a professional like that. But <laughs> Roy Keane, <laughs> <laughs> it just it does not look good, does it? And it's it, it's wild that it's led to an injury for Van Dijk, which has probably put him out for a season. Um, because you know these ACL injuries they don't tend to commonly happen by by impact and collision they mm. sometimes you know, when, you, when you turn in the turf uh, wrong or you know you, you broke down in training it, the, the impact of that challenge is as it's end, well, yeah, it's end of the season I think it's fair to say it's end of the season and you always do wonder if players can come back you know to full fitness and, and to, to peak optimum performance after you have an ACL injury it doesn't always happen mm. um, yeah it, it's, it's terrific but it is what it is he didn't get, he didn't get sent and you know, he's come on and he made a fantastic save in Matip and, and, you know, saved a day for them. But that's football, I guess. Yeah. Well, going back to the tackle itself, Phil, what confused me about this was the Premier League coming out and saying, oh, yeah, we did look at the incident, but we didn't deem it worthy of a red card. Did that make any sense to you at all? No, no. Um, the thing is, I, I understand as a goalkeeper, your job is to make yourself bigger. Um, you know, arms and legs are, are spread out, which is you know, fairly normal goalkeeping practice, but Mm. it was just the way he sort of charged out. There was no, no control. He was super high 
um, going into the thigh area and the knee area of Van Dyke. And it was just, there was just no control in it whatsoever. And, and the fact that, you know, uh, offside aside, the fact that that challenge was looked at in isolation and they didn't even consider it, you know, uh, punishable was was just bizarre. Yeah. Um, I, I'm struggling to find how uh, a Premier League referee or official can cannot deem that punishable. Well, my suspicion is that they did see it, and oh, sorry, they did they didn't see it. They were they were sort of too focused on the offside, mm. and they've come out on the night of the game and gone, oh yeah, we did see it. We just didn't think it was a red card to kind of cover up the fact that they just totally missed it at the time, really. Which, you know. You could perhaps well, understand why they've done that, but it's no, that, that's it because Richards can get sent off uh, for the foul on on Thiago, which um, but that, that's after the whistle's blown. The whistle's gone as mm. he as he makes contact, so it's um, it's not a case of the game's dead. We can't give the red card because they've done it literally later on in the game. Mm. It's just it's just a, a weird, really weird decision, but. What can you do? I suppose we then come into this realm of uh, why can't you take retrospective action against something like that as well? It's all a bit, it's all a bit nonsense, isn't it? Really. But uh, how do you think Liverpool will cope without Van Dijk, Joel? And is there any chance of him dipping into the transfer market in January? Now, do you think? I think the first answer really is we, we, we won't know. We don't know because mm. since he's arrived, we've not seen a Liverpool team without Van Dijk in it. Um, you know, he's played pretty much every minute since he arrived uh, since February 2018. I think you said before, and mm. he's. It's, it's, it's phenomenal that he stayed fit for that long, and you know, uh, and and man managed to sort of get away from injury because our, our centre halves, which which now is going to become a bit of an issue with Joe Gomez and Joel Matip, they you know they do tend to miss a month or two every season, and consistently have done so. I've got no doubt about their talent. I've got no doubt that they they can fill the void, and you know, we can we can sort of manage that in, in his absence, and but. It's whether they can stay fit now as well. That's, that's the question that's burning in my head. And mm. I do think we're going to see, obviously, the idea was for Bino was going to sort of play centre-half when when one of one of those two weren't fit enough to play alongside Van Dijk. But now he's probably going to have to probably remain there. Maybe even his first choice, to be honest, which mm. then affects the team going, you know, in midfield as well. It's it's it's, it's a strange one. Um, and I don't know what it's going to look like. And... You know, talking about sort of going in, into January, I, I do think the plan was for Liverpool to address that centre half issue in, in the summer. Uh, they were absolutely fine with what they had going forward this season. Obviously, not planning for an injury to Van Dijk, but I do think in the summer they were going to sort of bring in a, a centre half in the sort of age twenty to twenty four bracket and as sort of build them up and, and see where they can go from there. But I think that might that the plans for that are to accelerate into January. Uh, not sure who that will be or any idea what kind of player they'll get, but I think the guy has to address that. I mean, getting to that stage is going to be bad enough because the games have got you know pretty much playing three times a week now mm. until until January. But yeah, it's Man City fans, you know, rejoice because the talent race is back on. <laughs> oh, we are doing. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I've just seen. I've just seen before we started recording that Liverpool have been linked with Ben White from Brighton, which you know that'd be a decent signing. He's a good player, isn't he? But he's not. He's not Van Dijk level. Um, but yeah, but the, yeah, they're going to have Allison back uh, in a few weeks. It looks like probably before they play City on the seventh of November. They really need him, don't they, Phil? After another dreadful performance from Adrian in this game. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, it's clear. But the thing is, I have a lot of sympathy for Liverpool because when your first choice goalie is that good, who's going to come in that's any decent uh, mm. level and, and want to play second fiddle? So they kind of have to settle for someone that's 
older uh, or just not as good, quite simply. Um, so obviously I can sympathise with having Adrian in the first place. On the other hand, uh, I just found, especially for the the equaliser, the first equaliser, mm. I found his his wrists quite weak. Um, in that situation, he sort yeah. of they sort of just went through his gloves. Pop it on, um, isn't I, it? Yeah. yeah, and I'm I'm not saying he should have <laughs> saved it, but it just it just didn't look good when you you saw it go through his gloves and hardly change pace. You know, it was like there was no resistance there whatsoever. So. Look, losing a goalkeeper like Allison is is gonna is gonna hurt every team, and um, yeah, they'll be wishing for him to be back pretty sharpish because, as Joel said, the games are coming pretty quickly, um, and I think having Van Dijk and Allison out is just a, a big red flag for them. Mm. Well, Mo Salah got his 100th goal for Liverpool to put Liverpool two one up in this game. Where do you rank him on the list of Liverpool's all time greats, Joel? Is he right up there with the Ian Rushes and Robbie Fowlers and Sean Dundee, <laughs> <laughs> Eric Meyer, all the boys? <laughs> um, I think he has to be, you know. And you know, I say sort of say that with a bit of apprehension because I, I don't think he's necessarily considered up there just yet. Uh, obviously, because he's still playing, but the thing is. You know, he's 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 helped Liverpool win the Premier League and the Champions League in back to back seasons and you know, I, I think maybe his first season, how how well he did in, in that first campaign, I sort of done a bit of disservice because he scores forty four goals in all competitions. Um and then, you know, he doesn't he doesn't hit those heights. Well, he hasn't hit those heights over the last two campaigns, but he's, he's still hitting twenty plus in both of those seasons. And the way he started this campaign, he, he he looks possessed. Mm. Uh, he's, he's started this campaign incredibly well, um, and and I think why he deserves a lot of credit and why he deserves to be considered up there is that he's he's doing all this from from right wing, and you know okay we don't Liverpool don't play their wingers as as wingers. He you know, he does find himself in four positions a lot, but he's still technically doing it from from right, from right wing. It's it's incredible what he's done. I, I, I think. It'll soften the blow for local fans, the, the Van Dijk injury and, and Alisson being out, is that the way Salah and, and also Mane have started the season, but but mainly Salah, they, they look like, OK, maybe, maybe we're just going to have to win every game 4-3 or 5-4, but and, and with Salah in the form that he looks like he's in, that possibly is possible. Well, a man who might one day be considered one of Everton's all-time greats is Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who made it 2-2 with a towering header in this game. That takes him to 10 for the season already. He's really good, isn't he, Phil? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I've I've always liked Calvert Lewin. Um, even if he wasn't banging in the goals like he is now, I thought he was a really, you know, difficult uh, proposition for defenders. Anyway, you know, he's strong, he's quick, he he likes the physical battle. He's kind of like an old-fashioned English centre forward in that sense. Mm. Um, and you know, people don't realise how young he is. Uh, so him sort of finally adding goals to his game is not a major surprise after he's had a you know, a couple of years at this level. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's in a real purple patch at the moment. And there's something so satisfying about a good-headed goal. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just like the the Barclays ingrained in me from, uh, <laughs> from growing up in, in England and watching the Premier League. But it's just a well-timed leap, you know, a bullet header going into the back of the net. It's so good to watch. And he's already had a few this season. And I think he'll definitely be be challenging for for the golden boot unless you know injury or Everton go on a major dip but yeah it's uh get him on the plane get him on the get plane. him on that plane <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that leap, that the air that he got on that leap was incredible, wasn't it? It's Ronaldo-esque. Indeed, yeah. Really yeah. looks like the uh, the coaching that he's getting is paying off now, doesn't it? You say he's added goals to his game. I think it's, uh, you know, he's finally yeah, working yeah. with, I mean, there's been all this talk about him watching videos of Pippo and Zaghi and all that as well, hasn't there? So, yeah, great yeah. to see. Hope he, hope he keeps this form up. Um, but we'll talk about the game's most controversial moment now, uh, when Jordan Henderson thought he'd won it for Liverpool in stoppage time. First off, uh, what did you make of Pickford's attempt to save that effort? Joel because I saw everyone hammering him on Twitter and I actually thought it was quite a good effort I thought he did well to even get a hand to it personally that's hilarious um, no, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's just it's just, just what Pickford does again, in games against Liverpool I guess because he, <laughs> I, I, he, no, he had a really good game like, like let's point this out apart from maiming Van Dyke, let's forget about that <laughs> yeah. he, he made some great saves didn't he it, but in another world, he's he's cost everything in, in the final minute to a mid mm. derby again. Um, not this world, though. No, <laughs> and that's the world we're talking about. So yeah. I, I I feel for him because I, I think uh, I I do think that maybe football is not as fun for him anymore. And he, I don't think he enjoys it because it, it, he's made a lot of errors this, this season already, and, and maybe he's not getting as much criticism as he should do because everything have won games and it's mm. cost him, but. Yeah, I, I, I'm worried about the future for Pickford, but you know, not that concerned. That's all he's done. We'll see what we do. <laughs> well, talk, talk to me about this offside decision then, because if if I, as a City fan, was annoyed by it, you must have been smashing windows, surely. That... Oh, if I had a cat, I would have volleyed it. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, hope the RSPCA aren't listening to this. <laughs> yeah, maybe edit that out. But no, I, I really want it with every fiber in my being. I want, I want to sort of, you know insult the decision and go against it but the thing is in the rule the rules as they stand right now the decision is correct um, I, I for all weekend I was looking for images to sort of prove that it was offside I didn't actually find one until today um, and then but because because I won't go into the rules too much because it's, it's confusing me and it'll confuse everyone um, but obviously the way they brought in the handball rule this year where it's below the the shirts, the mm. arm, shirts on the arm, you know, you're fine if it's below that. But obviously, you can, you can consider the sleeve on the arm as being onside, and, and that would not class as handball. So, a man, that's where Manny is. Sadly, is his sleeve is is offside. So it's. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds bizarre, doesn't it? It's, it sounds bizarre saying it, but that's yeah. just the way it is. And the, the thing is that the decision is, is correct. Sadly, the rule is bizarre, and the book the rule is crazy. And, and maybe we all need to have a look at it. But you know, it's 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 affected Liverpool. It will affect pretty much every team in the division. It's just that, and I think I've seen a few tweets before saying that it's it's just the first time this decision has has happened in a, in a game this season since the rules been brought in, and uh, just to happen to happen in. You know, in the Merseyside derby in the last minute, it's mm. you know, it's just it's just crazy. But Sally, the decision is is correct, just. Um, but obviously, when you you're jumping up, celebrating the ninety second minute winner, <laughs> you get brought right back down to here. Yeah. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? Not for me. I quite liked it actually. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems to me it, it gives defenders like too much of an advantage now because you know all the sort of the adage about uh, a good striker hangs on the shoulder of the last man. You can't really do that anymore, can you? You have to be sort of in front of the last man or behind the last man, whichever way you want to look at it. It doesn't. It doesn't seem fair to me. But what do you think the solution is, Phil? Do we just have to accept it that this is going to be the way the technology is going to be used? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Joel said it by the the rule. Uh, that they that they've enforced it's it's correct the decision is correct but it, you know people don't 
want this microscopic an- analysis of every decision. We just wanted this guy's two yards offside. Mm. The linesman didn't see it. Get the guy to look at it in the, in the little screen and call it offside. You know, nobody wants lines and perpendicular angles <laughs> being drawn on pitches. You know, it's just, I don't know. I was Honestly, I was in a big sort of the pro camp for VAR, um, but I had no idea it was going to be utilised this, like to this level. Mm. Um, and I think you lose a lot of the spirit of the game like this because there is literally no margin for anything, you know? Mm. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's what you said. We're just going to have to get used to it. As long as the rules are like this, this is what football will be. But for me, it's it's too much. It's not going away. Like, you know, they brought VAR in and and they are going to use it and, and carry on using it. And I, 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 it's probably with us for it, probably indefinitely now, um, unless there is a big conspiracy theory where the referees are trying to use it badly. So <laughs> we eventually force it out. It explained a lot, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I guess <laughs> we've opened a Pandora's box now, and mm. the thing is, if they were to take VAR away, um, you would get a decision like that where a goal is ruled onside, and the opposition team will be like, "Well, well, no, his his armpit's offside, so mm. it's offside." And uh, it's it's just changed the game now. And, and, and sadly, as Phil said, and yourself alluded to, we, we're just gonna have to put up with it. But mm. yeah, it's not fun, is it? It's the new normal, isn't it? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark. Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, well, later on Saturday, Manchester United got back to winning ways with a 4-1 victory at Newcastle. I say back to winning ways. I mean, it's not been winning ways for Manchester United for a while, has it? But you know what I mean. Uh, what did you make of United's performance in this one, Phil? I mean, they deserved to win the game, I think, but 4-1 flattered them a little bit, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the two late goals in, inflated the scoreline. Um, you know, I thought they were, like you said, they were well worth the win. I mean, honestly, when you're in such a slump, you take three points when they come. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when that early own goal went in from Luke Shaw, you're probably thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, here's another, you know, disaster class from from the lads. But, you know, it was, they sort of settled down after that and they were the much better side. And and when you're that good in transition, no matter how bad your form is, you can kill a team like Newcastle. So I thought they were worth the win, um, scored some nice goals. And obviously the... The scoreline was inflated at the end, but I thought they they deserved to win. Yeah, well, that uh, Luke Shaw on goal after I think it was less than two minutes, wasn't it? I was a bit worried that uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer might be getting sacked at half time. You know, after the, yeah. the last game, Joel, do you think this result has bought him some time? And and is that a good thing or a bad thing from United's point of view? They do this, United's, where mm. you know I wouldn't surprise me now if they go on a bit of run and form and and you know I'll get results in, in Paris in midweek and and maybe get a few results at the next couple of Premier League games and. And you know everyone's all, it's all rosy again at Old Trafford, and 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 it will buy Solskjaer some time. I think it will, but the, the thing is, the end of the story is Solskjaer's not the right manager for Manchester United. He won't mm. take them back to where they want to go. Um, I don't think they're going to ever come near to win the league with him in charge, even this season where Aston Villa and Everton are going to be the title challengers. I don't think United have got anywhere near it. Um, but it's. It, that's why I would say it's a bad thing from their point of view because they'll get eluded and you know and convinced that Solskjaer's the guy again and and I'll and they'll forget about all the you know they'll forget about the six one and forget about yeah. how they need to reshape all recruitments and everything like that. It's it, it's fine United do this, and, but to be honest, four one did flat and they deserve to win the game. Let's not you know let's not dispute that. But I looked at that team on on Saturday and. I just I, I can't see what he's trying to do. I can't, I, you know, they score counter-attacking goals and they're very good at it. But 
they don't have anything else apart from it. It doesn't look like they've been coached or it doesn't look like they are being coached, you know, in in attacking transitions in terms of trying to break down a deep line defence. It's I mean, it's great for us. I enjoy it, but not great for United. <laughs> yeah, I understand why United fans might be listening to this and thinking, we've just won 4-1 and you're still having a go at us. You're still having a go at the manager. But it, it's just a bit like they're sort of kicking the can down the road all the time, aren't they? Like there was this talk over the international break after the, the defeat to Spurs that uh, Ed Woodward wouldn't be afraid to sack Solskjaer if it comes to it. And it's like, oh, so now he's going to, he can't sack him now, can he? Because they've won. So he's just got to wait a bit longer now. For, and they just sort of continue having this manager who's not good enough. But I mean, there were there were some good individual performance in, in this game from United Bruno Fernandes was really good Aaron Wan-Bissaka scored his first goal for the club with a pretty emphatic finish Marcus Rashford got a nice one too um, let's talk about Juan Mata though Phil do you rate Mata and did his performance in this game surprise you at all? No not really I think he's a quality player um, obviously he he didn't have many legs in the first place and now he's he's lost his legs completely <laughs> but you know when you're that good on the ball you can sort of you know dip away from a man or use a sharp turn to get away from a press. And, you know, he's sort of, I mean, understandably, he's fallen down the pecking order because he's not the future um, of the club, which is fine. Um, but he's just a really, really good player. He's so intelligent. Um, I think he brings a lot to the side in terms of ball retention and vision. And, you know, and it, even, you know, some. I remember some cameos last season where he came off the bench uh, in the last 15, 20 minutes and he always used to change the game. So... I think he, for now, um, you know, as I said, he's not the future of the club and they've got a lot more uh, players who can suit their current style in transition, you know, better than him. But mm. for for games like this, when you need your squad, especially with this sort of condensed season, there's far worse players you can call upon, like, you know, Andres Pereira, who, yeah. who who's obviously out on loan now. But in terms of those two, the quality is, is vast, vastly different. Yeah, I was surprised. I looked it up earlier that the matter's still only 32, actually. In my head, he was like 34 going on 35. Um, mm. What did you make of the penalty incident in this game, Joel? The one Carl Darlow saved from Bruno Fernandes. Do you think it's fair that you can give a penalty away when you're trying to kick the ball and someone just nicks in front of you and nicks it away? I guess it is because, you know, that, that's just, it's fair play to the attacker. They, they've been quick enough to recognise the, the moments where you're, you know, you're about to kick it away and, and maybe you Dawling a little bit, that's maybe a bit harsh, but mm. and, and and they just managed to to, to nip in and, and and take the. I mean, it's it's clever. Maybe maybe it's not right. Maybe it's not morally right, but it's <laughs> it's it's a foul in your eyes of the game now. And I, I guess the attack and player, like like all attack and players do, they, they, if they can find a way to to buy a penalty and buy a foul, they can do it. And that's just another example of doing so. But yeah, I don't think there's any qualms with that being a penalty. To be mm. honest, you might like to have had a lot more dubious penalties in the past couple of months than that. I think as a slow, lumbering centre-half myself, I'm sort of speaking out on behalf of the rest of us here and saying, it's not fair, we should be allowed to get away with these things. And also, I think that was a great argument for the 12-yard box that I keep banging on about, I'm just just saying. Uh, let's talk a bit about Newcastle now. I mean, they've spent a fair amount of money on attacking players in the last couple of years, and they're still so insipid going forward. Why is that, Phil? Is it all Steve Bruce's fault? Well, yeah, it's, it's how he sets up the team, you know, and you can understand it against the big teams, um, I know Man United are struggling a bit this year, but they're still, you know, one of the best teams in England, uh, generally speaking. So you can understand him being a bit conservative in his sort of tactics and his attacking uh, play. But I don't know. I just feel like sometimes it's not really necessary. Um, and as fans, I know we say, you know, I'd rather lose five four than uh, than lose, you know, comfortably one nil. But it's kind of true. You want to see your team having a go. 
Um, no one really likes to lose anyway, but losing with a bit of fight and attacking intent is much more, it makes you feel a lot better about yourself than losing 1-0 when you don't even sort of get out your own half. So I just think it's a shame because, like you said, they, they bought some nice players. They've got Callum Wilson, Alan St. Maximan, you know, Joe Linton seems to have found a little bit of form. Almiron as well is there. So I don't know. It just feels like they're, they're relying on these guys for individual magic to, to make the difference as opposed to having a sort of cohesive attacking unit and it's sort of been that way the whole time under Steve Bruce, which is a shame. Mm. I think, you know, football fans of our generation uh, remember Kevin Keegan's Newcastle quite well and how, you know, attacking they were and how many, you know, they, they were the, the dictionary definition of a team who concede five and uh, score six and that kind of thing. And I don't know, they're just, they're just so dull nowadays, Newcastle. It just seems a bit of a shame, really. Do you think uh, Steve Bruce should be a bit concerned about keeping his job, Joel? I mean, there was all the talk that he was uh, going to be out on his ear if they got taken over and a better manager would be coming in and he sort of kept his job because they, they didn't get taken taken over but now is it becoming a bit tricky for him there I, I think that's it I, I think while the takeover doesn't happen while there's no new areas in place while Mike Ashley's still there I think Bruce's got nothing to worry about to be honest with you because his his MO start of the season you know gets to 40 points as quickly as possible uh, and he did that he did that with years last season and I, to be honest I think he probably will do the same again this season I mean they've, they've started Solid. They, you know, they've not been brilliant, but they've won a couple of games, and you know they, they're not like we keep saying, not excellent to watch. But they have enough about them because they've got decent players to to grind out little gritty victories here and there. And and I, I think if, the, if that takeover does happen, and um, over the season, you know, Bruce will be out. So, you know, I don't think he's going to get a say of execution or mm. a chance to prove himself. He'll be out on his arse. Um, but while, while Ashley's still there, I don't think they're going to be making any any big decisions like that, unless they completely fall off a cliff. And you know, they, you know, it looks like they might they might go down. You know, we're talking December, January, and they're in the bottom three and you know, five or six points adrift. I think that's when you maybe have a look at it. But right now, what it is, you know, it's it's. It'll, it'll just have to do for Newcastle fans sadly and it's a shame because it could, it could be brilliant St Maximum Fraser and Callum Wilson like we've, we said you know that's an exciting front three and mm-hmm. could possibly be exciting front three but that's the deal with the hand they're given at the moment sadly yeah and St Maximum signed a six year deal last week which was a bit of a surprise wasn't it yeah. <laughs> uh, well on Sunday evening I went to the cinema to see the brilliant new Sofia Coppola film On the Rock starring Bill Murray and Rashida Jones just before the film started I checked my phone and Tottenham were 3-0 up at home to West Ham with 10 minutes left so a good win for Spurs was it Phil? oh yeah great uh, title challengers you know <laughs> put their name on the trophy already Jose's winning stuff again um, no I mean this is it just this game encapsulates how mad Premier League football is at the moment. Every game just seems to be a goal fest. Um, mm. I don't know what's happened, um, but yeah, it was just an incredible game. Uh, I mean, they started amazingly well, mm. and and they fully deserved to be ahead. I think they just caught West Ham by surprise, really, because they started so quickly. Um, but yeah, just this is football. You know, one goal goes in, and even if you're three-one up, you, you get nervous, and and that's what happens. I mean, what a, what a way to equalise in the last minute oh, yeah. as well. And it just 
it just makes me so sad that fans weren't there. <laughs> yeah. Because imagine the scenes in that away end. You know, just, <laughs> oh, would have been yeah. limbs all over the shop. <laughs> um, it would have just been so good. But obviously, I enjoyed every single second of that. So yeah. no complaints from me. Yeah, I guess uh, 3-0 with 10 minutes to go is now the most dangerous lead in football. It's not 2-0 anymore, That's it's 3-0. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jose Mourinho suggested afterwards that Spurs are not strong enough psychologically. Is that true, Joel, or is that just his go-to excuse when something goes wrong now? <laughs> um, for a man who has to file a copy on this game, um, I, I was absolutely fuming with their psychological state. <laughs> um, I had all of it in the house at 80 minutes. Yeah. And, um, when, he went, when it got to 3-1, I still thought, nah, there's no chance. Uh, this is not, not going to happen. Um, I think it's an easy excuse, but the thing is, he's also using the excuse about fitness and and the games they've they've had, and that that looked like it might be a bit of an issue yesterday because. Although I, I don't think West Ham looked like they, they were going to do what they did. For the whole of the second half, West Ham had pretty much all the ball and Spurs, you know, a lot of Spurs players were, were running around and, and they were blowing by, by 60. And and that, that's, you know, that, that's completely understandable, I think, because obviously they've been playing Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, you know, a couple of, you know, for a couple of weeks before the international break. Um, I, I, but I think it is. He, he, he's mentioned a psychological thing before because obviously, you know, referring back to the Amazon scene where, mm. you know, he wants them all to be, you know, the C word. Yeah. Um, he, he he's insistent on it, and it's obviously means a lot to him, and that's how you want to build as a team. And I think we did see an example of that come into play in, in the Man United game where Lamella gets Martial sent off that it was working. So it it does seem like his go to excuse, but I, I think that's just. I think what he's got there, he's just got Spursy. He's just got a big <laughs> dose of Spursy, you know, and, and they're, they're just going to be Spursy for the rest of the time. And there's nothing <laughs> you can do about it. Um, Pochettino tried his best, and, and it worked for some bit, but now they've got you know Jose Mourinho in, in this form and, and, and Tottenham. It's just a big dose of Spursy, and that's what it's always going to be. Well, I must admit, when it was 3-0, I, was, I, was, I even wrote in my notes that we might be looking at genuine title contenders. Do you think they are, Phil, or, or is it Spursiness that's just going to hold them back forever? Is <sighs> I mean, I think honestly, there's there's ten teams who could be <laughs> yeah. into the the title challenge at the moment. It's just so open. Um, you know, I, I, it's too early at the moment. You you need to account for you know schedule sort of cramps and and injuries and Europa League coming in and Champions League coming in and all these yeah. different things. So, like I said, they the thing is with Son and Harry Kane up front, they they can beat any team. Um, but just defensively, they don't quite have enough for me. Um, but I mean, they, you know, Mourinho was backed in the summer. Let's not, mm. you know, make a mistake about that. He brought in Regulon, Hoiberg, you know, uh, Matt Doherty at right back as well. So, you know, they've got players. Um, this is a good squad. I just, you know, as uh, Giorgio Chiellini once said, this is the history of the Tottenham. So <laughs> uh, this is what we're used to, you know, it's just no one knows what you're going to get but I, I think it's a step too soon for them mm. at the moment but they're definitely going to be challenging for the top four so yeah uh, well Gareth Bale made his debut his second debut for Spurs in this game he looks really wrong with number nine on his back I think it doesn't just Why? something a bit Why strange yeah, yeah. Uh, Harry Kane you mentioned him there he was excellent in the first half wasn't he Joel do you think he's back to his best yeah you know what he, he deserves a lot of credit um and a lot of people, and myself included, are sort of not written him off, but 
I thought that maybe the amount of game, you know, amount of football he's been playing in the last couple of years, and in long term injuries he's had, he's had a fair few of them. That his, his legs had sort of gone. I, I remember sort of watching him against Bournemouth last season uh, in the nil nil, and he just couldn't couldn't run, and I just maybe it, it was weighting him down a bit. I, I did worry for him um, that maybe it's, it's you know his time has sort of passed him by, but the way he started this season is phenomenal, and I, I, I wonder whether it's. A coaching thing whether Jose's told him to do this but he's turned into this sort of creator it's, it's mm. sort of, that pass sort of, was unreal wasn't it yeah. yeah the pass for Son's goal is incredible he, he did something similar against United where he takes a quick free kick and sets Son off and for his goal and it's so I, I do think it might be a coaching thing because he, he was playing I'd love to see his average position maps from the game because it looked like he was playing sort of the tip of a diamond rather than up front um, and then you also have you, have you got with Kane the ability to, to finish the way he takes second goal is incredible. He makes a you know a, a, a mug of a um, Declan Rice uh, mm. by not making him, and then the finish is phenomenal. And he's, he, lo- he looks great. And, and to fair to me, he's obviously maybe reacting to the fact that he's got genuine uh, sorry genuine uh, challenge for his place in England because obviously Calvert Lewin's in the form he's in. Danny Ings sniffing around there, and he's reacting to it. And he's, you know, Spurs will get the benefits from this, and they are so far. I think it's what five goals, seven assists so far in the league. Not bad. Mm. Well, we all made the joke at three 0 about West Ham being better when David Moyes works from home. Uh, he made us look a bit <laughs> silly, though, didn't he, Phil? Yeah, look, I mean, look, anything can happen. Like, like we said, one goal goes in, and, and the whole momentum of the of the game changes. Um, West Ham have been quietly decent this year. Um, mm. Uh, you know they they they've actually recruited quite well, and you know if you actually look at their squad uh, on paper, it's it's good. So this is sort of a nice time for West Ham to, to sort of be going under the radar a bit. But you know even when they played Arsenal, they gave us a lot of trouble, um, especially on the break, and then they beat Leicester away from home. So you know there's there's a team there, there's a squad there, but it's just they never. They never seem to kick on anywhere. And, and mm. the thing is with David Moyes, he's become such a meme in English football now. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of that is deserved. But yeah. people maybe don't watch West Ham as, as much as they did uh, Man United. So we just kind of assume he's the same manager. But, you know, I think if he can sort of get the defence sorted, they have enough attacking talent to, to be able to cause problems. And, yeah. you know, th- this is a bit of a mad game, obviously, but... You know, maybe they can spring a few surprises this year. Yeah, I genuinely enjoyed seeing him run on the pitch at the end. Actually, Moisey. Yeah, that was fair a nice play moment. to you, Moisey. Yeah, yeah, yeah good. He, yeah. Des- he described it as his David Pleat moment on Match of the Day, which was nice <laughs> as well. <laughs> and that goal from Man- yeah, that goal from Manuel Lanzini, eh, Joel? Um, is it right that the XG on that was just two percent? <laughs> I tell you what. It- it's had the full meme treatment. It's had the Titanic music. It's had the uh, <laughs> Alan Partridge foot like attraction engine uh, uh, treatment. And it, it looks, it still looks good in, in, in every every clip you watch. And the fact that he's he's tried it, like you see it at the XG of it. He's tried that in the 93rd minute, which is pretty much the last kick of the game. And it didn't look like it was on. And it set up quite well, I guess, but it didn't look like it was on. Usually nine times out of ten, that you know goes into Rosette, done it, and. Mm. Jeez, and he hits the bar as well and, and drops down. They're the best kind of goals. Fair play to Manuel. <laughs> Indeed. Um, did you see Declan Rice's tweet to the Spurs fan after the game, Phil? I you did, yeah. This? And yes. Masuaku had a dig as well. Did he? Uh, so, so, the, one, yeah. so the Spurs fan tweeted something like, uh, oh, 
the, the the levels we're bringing Bale off the bench they're bringing Lanzini off the bench um, yeah. and Rice tweeted afterwards this aged well what do you think about players <laughs> players giving it out on social media like that is it is it fair fair I think, game I think it's good yeah. yeah I think it's good I mean everyone complains about there being like media tra- trained robots nowadays so a little bit of you know light hearted fun is, is never a bad thing for me I mean obviously the impending pile-up that inevitably follows to the poor guy who's been quote-tweeted. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you should probably leave Twitter for six hours or so. But, <laughs> you know, I think it's nice when they when they give a bit back because they take so much, you know, and they're just expected to to sit there and, and do nothing about it. So, yeah, why not? I mean, it's it, it just brings a bit more personality. Like, also with Alan Sam-Maximan the other day after he signed his deal and the you know, the clip from Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's like, like it just brings you a bit closer to the team, especially now when we're further away than ever. You know, it just gives you something uh, to sort of bond with, with, with your with your team. Mm. Uh, moving on to Chelsea 3, Southampton 3. Oh, Chelsea. Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. <laughs> Joel, do you, do you get the feeling that no matter who they have in their back line, they're just going to struggle defensively because of how Lampard sets his team up? On the basis and the data that we have so far of, of his career, yeah, because his Derby team were exactly the same. They're very good going forward, but vulnerable and naive at the back, and that's what we've seen in you know so far in, in his, his Chelsea career as well. And it's you know you're going for the money, you know, new goalkeeper. You're bringing Thiago Silva on you know on his last legs, and expect that to to, to be the solution. And we'll have to see whether that is because obviously they've not really played games together yet, but. It's, I I've, I've got to wonder whether it's a coaching thing, um, mm. because you know that that's what that's what we're seeing, and it's it's a, it's also a game management thing as well. And you, you just think Chelsea Chelsea were fine on Saturday, especially when they went three one up. That that should be it. That should be the game, um, but they just sort of never look like they can just slow the game down and and just sort of get get to the end, get to the finishing post and. And, and the fact that when they're sort of still trying to play out the back, you know, when it's three two in, in the dying minute, coaches and, and teams do this, and, and and very well it works. And but sometimes there is a moment where you just got to sort of breach the lines a bit and get up the field and get away, especially when you got Danny Ings and Shea Adams hounding you down mm. your throat in the dying minutes. Come on, it's just naive. But you know, it's you know, he's two years for two years and three months into his. Coaching career, Lampard. I guess he'll learn, but got to learn fast because the pressure's going to be telling at some point. Yeah, you know what they want to do? Get Lampard over at Newcastle, coaching them to attack. Stevie <laughs> Bruce in at Stamford Bridge, coaching them to defend. Problem solved for both people. Yeah, can have that one for free. Adverse <laughs> like version of wife swap. Yeah, I was literally going to say that Premier League wife swap. Yeah. Uh, what was going on with Kepper on that second Southampton goal, Phil? Are you surprised that Lampard's oh, even mate. bothering with him now? Like, why not just play Willie Caballero? I guess with if Mendy's injured. Yeah, I know. Honestly, I will say this: the the pass from Zuma is not good. No, okay, oh, yeah. it's a bad one. It's under hit, and and as Joel said, Che Adams is chasing that down. But I, did he just forget that he can't handball it and was like, <laughs> yeah. didn't have time to move his legs? I don't know, but it's, that is just the. If you need a description, a video description of someone who's low on confidence, that is it right there. Mm-hmm. No conviction in his ability second-guessing himself. And even the little mess that ensued afterwards as well with it like spinning off the post and his weird dive back in. It's just like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, just, oh, honestly, I feel a bit bad for him because 
the same with Pickford, you know, in if you make a mistake uh, at the back or in midfield, you know, it's sort of forgotten about fairly quickly. But when you're in goal, mistakes usually cost goals. Mm, um, yeah. And everything just seems to be going in at the moment at Chelsea. And he's he's at fault uh, for that goal, no no doubt about it. Um, and it's just typical that they signed a replacement and he's injured on international duty straight away. But yeah, I, I have no idea what he was doing, honestly, <laughs> for, that, for that goal. There, so. was, there was a few things happened this weekend in the Premier League. That if they happened on FIFA, you would like throw your controller out the window and say, <laughs> this game's glitchy and really shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Art is imitating life, I guess, yeah. Um, but, you know, Timo Werner looks like he's off and running now, doesn't he, Joel? Do you think if, if Chelsea can somehow get the shit together at the back, they could actually stake a claim for the title? Oh, it's, it's big if, Dan. Big is, if. is it really, though? I don't I don't uh, know if it is that big enough, the way things I've, are going. I think it is this season. Uh, I think 40 even... points might get you the title, the way things are going. Very so. <laughs> <laughs> true, very true. But, uh, on, on, on paper, it should be, because they, that front four especially well when it's going to be Peter Sick and uh, Hakim Zayek and, and Kai Havertz behind Werner that, that, front, that front four is FIFA that is just pure FIFA and it's, mm. but it, it's got potential to be incredible and you know what maybe they actually need a defence to work <laughs> that clear because they could just go win every game 10-9 mm-hmm. um, but it's, I just I just don't see it I think I, I speak from experience of a Liverpool team in, in 13-14 where we had an incredible you know front three front four uh, Raheem Steele and Daniel Sturridge and Luis Suarez and we would score goals for form but we had a bunch of bums at the back and um, it, it cost us more often than not and it's, it affects your title challenge and uh, no mention of a, of a slip in that by the way um, and the, the, the thing is uh, bringing on to sort of Werner it, that's maybe where you, you, you rest your chips on on Chelsea doing something this season because it does look like he's off and running now like the two goals he's taken there are, are phenomenal the, the first one he, he runs in a straight line but he somehow beats four men um, <laughs> and the finish is, is quality and then the second one is just you, you can tell he's the weight's been lifted off his back and he's you know he's having fun out there that was the Leipzig Werner that we, that we saw last season the season before and you know, he's never really played as a lone front man in the past, but he looks, he's got the ability to, to do that. Like, he's running the channels all the time, he's got the pace to run in behind, and he's he, he can be a nuisance as well, but he's he is phenomenal. But I just, I just don't, when I think Chelsea out, out right, I just don't see him as the title challenges this season. If you get, they only got 66 points last season, okay, get them mm-hmm. top four because the rest of the league wasn't great. Um, but like you said, yeah, six, six points might get you the title this year. But mm. no, I, I don't. I don't class them as being anywhere near Liverpool or Man City's level. Mm. I'm, I'm really intrigued to know what the top four is going to look like come the end of the season because I couldn't really, you know, make any sort of sensible guess at this moment in time. Usually, <laughs> yeah, I mean that would that would be something, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> How pleased were you to see Theo Walcott back at Southampton enjoying himself, Phil? Yeah, really, really pleased. I think. You know, obviously, I've, as an Arsenal fan, I've, I've watched him play for his peak years, shall we say. Um, but I just think in general, he's, you know, because he didn't turn into Thierry Henry 2.0, he's very, you know, laugh, his record is, is laughed at. But mm. I think he's posted some crazy numbers from the right wing. You know, he scored over 100 goals for Arsenal, you know. Yeah. Um, that's that's an uh, incredible achievement in itself. And I mean, don't get me wrong. He frustrates the hell out of me sometimes. And he's earned a fair whack uh, in, his, in his time, but he's just a nice guy, solid professional, um, you know, didn't quite work out at Everton, but 
um, you know, going back home, well, home, quote marks, um, you know, hopefully it will, it will give him a bit of a burst because I think he's he deserves a, a nice end to his career, shall we say. Mm. Uh, Ralph Hasenhutl was complaining after the game that they've put the temporary away dressing room too far away at Stamford Bridge. I saw, I saw he was late coming out for the second half or, or Southampton were late coming out for the second half and he said it takes about three minutes to get there from the pitch, which wastes valuable time talking to his team. Do you think that could be like a psychological decision, Joel? Because apparently when Mourinho came in at Chelsea, he made them rebuild the away dressing room in an L shape because it would put the idea of losers in the away team's heads. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's what I got told one day. It's Jose, it's probably true. Yeah. Isn't it? Come on. Um, I, that does seem, I mean, on the basis, that sounds a bit sort of like he's been a bit too precious there. Mm. Three minutes is a long time, though. Yeah, I, guess, I guess it is. Yeah. You, only get, you only get 14, 15, don't you, for, yeah. uh, for the break at our time. But uh, that just, it's so Sunday league that. I mean, I, I mean I'm all about that. I love that, you know. Just stay I, out on the pitch if you don't like it, I guess. Yeah, well. Yeah, just have, have a bit of orange juice in the centre circle, like yeah. Phil Brown. That'd be great. Uh, I, yeah, I'm surprised they're also turning. The, the shower's cold and everything like that as well you know <laughs> any, any little bits to get your little edge that'll work yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah I think it's a factor but that's hilarious that to be honest <laughs> uh, well you might recall on the last podcast that I graciously bowed out of the title race on Man City's behalf but just like Michael Corleone in The Godfather 3 just when I thought I was out they pulled me back in <laughs> Phil do you have any idea what formation City played in that 1-0 win over Arsenal on Saturday because I'm not sure I do no no no, no idea um, <laughs> I'm guessing it was Three, one, four, two, or something along those lines. But I was seeing like Jar Cancelo centre forward sometimes. Yeah. So I've got absolutely no idea what they were doing. And at other times there were two right backs playing right back. It was really weird. Yeah. Like it was proper galaxy yeah. brain stuff. But I mean, fair play. It's, it sort of worked. This game was billed as Master v Apprentice, I think, wasn't it? And uh, do you think this was Guardiola's way of saying the master's still in charge here, Joel? Screen the Guardiola trying to be a bit too clever again in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a big game. It, it worked. He got the three points and. You know, they probably just about deserved the three points. But, um, yeah, I, I think it was. Obviously, Arteta had a bit one over on because he beat him in the FA Cup, didn't he? So, mm. um, it's, it's, it's it's one of them. But I, I, I think the thing is, it's I'm, I'm intrigued to see these battles going forward between Arteta and Guardiola because I think Arteta's got the ability and obviously got the know-how on him to just rattle his head completely. And we know how Guardiola loves to get rattled. Hmm. Um, so I, I've, I'm intrigued. I, I, maybe when Arsenal, you know, I, I do think they're going to have a good season uh, and will be up there in the, in the top four battle. I'm not sure if they will finish there, but they'll definitely be in with a, for a shout. And um, you know, let's see sort of the game at the Emirates later on in the season. I, I think it could be one of the games of the season because these two, I'll, I'll set up in the moment, sort of trying to build his team up and as, as sort of, doing what he can with the tools he has. Um, but I don't think that necessarily is the team he wants and, and the style he wants to play at the moment. Uh, I think eventually we'll still 4 3 3 and also be a lot more attacking and, and creating more chances than they are now. And I think that could build off to be one hell of a game later on in the season. Um, I'd, I do wonder how much Arteta has on Guardiola and how much he was just putting the cones out or not. <laughs> uh, it's intriguing this. No, look forward to it. <laughs> well, you mentioned, uh, you know, it was uh, the Arsenal did have some chances to score. It could have gone either way, perhaps, this game. I think City perhaps just edged it in the end. I saw you tweeting at half-time, Phil, that the, the left-hand side was Arsenal's way in after they created a couple of chances just before half-time. Were you disappointed they didn't make more of that in the second half? Yeah, I was. Um, I mean, I, we finished the first half quite strongly. 
you know, with the Saka chance and the Aubameyang chance, you know, two amazing saves from Edison, especially the one from Saka. Oh yeah, Incredible. that's great, that one. Um, and I just thought maybe like that was that was the formula to, to follow again. I mean, honestly, Carl Walker, I thought he had a really good game, mm. um, sort of covering the right side with his insane pace. Um, <laughs> but it just, I don't, I don't understand why we're playing Aubameyang in on the left again. And like we're talking of galaxy brain, William false nine in the bin. Never want to see that again, ever. <laughs> uh, you know, forget it. Never want to see that again. But you know, the two chances were created came with a Bamiyang central. So, you know, I thought he might have been tempted to to rejig a few things. But you know, it just I don't know. It felt like we were a bit sort of not happy with the result, but we never really forced the issue in case of being hit on the break Mm. um, because, you know, City were depleted, but they still have some incredible players that can tear you open just like they did for the goal, you know. So, you know, it was maybe we left something on the pitch, um, you know, because losing 1-0 and 2-0 was no different for me at at that stage. So maybe we could have pushed a few more people forward. But I think with Arteta, you know, people keep laughing at our you know, what looks to be a defensive style, but his his big job was to fix the defence and now we've got the second best defence in England. So he's done that bit and it's just about pushing and building forward. So we'll see. We'll see how he manages it, but not signing a creative player will was uh, was a bit of a blow in the summer. Yeah, have you been a bit disappointed by Willian so far? Because he looked really good against Fulham in the first game of the season. I think he's been quite uh, quiet since then, hasn't he really? I mean, I think that's just the player he is, you know. He's mm. fairly inconsistent, um, and I don't think we quite know how to use him yet. Um, so we have to see what how he manages to adapt. But I think he's been fine, largely fine. But we haven't quite clicked as an attacking unit yet. So I'm not going to make any snap judgments yet. Mm. I really enjoyed the performance of Ruben Diaz in this game. He was good for City before the international break against Leeds, but I thought he was outstanding against Arsenal. Um, and I'm a bit, bit surprised how good he is on the ball, actually. I wasn't really expecting that from him. Um, Joel, do you think City have finally found their Vincent Company replacement? <laughs> Big words. Yeah. <laughs> Early days, isn't it? Yeah. He, he, you know, I agree with you. He was, he was absolutely phenomenal. Um, every time that ball sort of went into the box, it seemed to sort of be attracted to him, either his head or his foot. He's got a big yeah. head as well, by the way. Yeah, it's got a massive yeah. head. Yeah, it's all in Maguire's thing. <laughs> Maguire-esque. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and, and I agree with you with, with, his, with his passing. He's very good at breaking the lines, isn't he? And it's, it's a really, really good start. I mean, it's about time Man City managed to be successful in buying a centre-half. Um mm. Hey, Laporte was good. I love that. Yeah, that's harsh, isn't it? <laughs> but I mean, be able to turn the question back on on yourself. You know, what what are you sort of making? I mean, do you think he could be uh, your new Vincent Company? I mean, I don't know. I don't know about company level, but he's certainly yeah. He's, he looks like he's a leader at the back, yeah, um, and he's still pretty young as well. So yeah, I think they've they've got themselves a good buy there. And it, yeah. there was a bit of talk about him being like City's third choice. Um, defender this summer, you know, that they, they didn't get Koulibaly, then they wanted Jules Kunde from Sevilla, and then they went for this guy, and it was a bit like, oh, is this a panic buy now? Is this what we're doing? You know, I, I must admit, I hadn't seen an awful lot of him play at Benfica, so I wasn't too sure what to expect, but so far, I've been very impressed. Yeah, and Nathan Ake's been pretty good as well. He played left back at the weekend. Um, you know, that's been a problem position for City that they've not really addressed, so he looks at least like he might be able to um, do a job in that position. Um, I wanted to ask you, Phil, about the Kyle Walker uh, I thought I think it was just before half time that mm-hmm. um do you think that should have been a penalty I don't think it's something you can look at and then say that's a bang on penalty but and I I think the fact that there's no contact 
um, worked a lot in his favor here. Mm. But to, to to not even check it felt a little bit strange because you know Gabriel is is touching six foot four and Cole Walker's foot is basically level with his head. Um, I mean, I know he was stooping a bit to to get the ball, but. It just, I mean, I think maybe if that's in another area of the pitch, it gets given as yeah, a foul. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's that always that debate. But I just found the not checking quite strange because even just to have the referee think about it, but it wasn't something that I'd look at and say, how is that not given? You mm. know? There was also an interesting uh, little clash with Gabriel. I think it was Bernardo Silva in the second half. Do you see that mm-hmm. one when he was, yeah, Gabriel yeah, yeah. was kind of like, he just sort of like took him out really, didn't he? And it was like, yeah, that was a bit... I mean, he blocked his path, um, but I think Bernardo Silva's, you know, tried to make the most out of it. But I don't know why Gabriel needed to do it in the first place because the Leno's comfortably on the ball there. So mm. I don't know. It was just a, a silly thing, but I think it would have been harsh to give that as well. So yeah. Gabriel is awesome, though, isn't he? I mean, as I was just saying, I'm ha- happy with Ruben Diaz, but I was also looking at his performance and thinking, why didn't we buy him? <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he started really well, actually. Um, as well, it's just nice having a natural left-footed player there because so often we've had to shoehorn right-footers, but in build-up play, everything just goes so much smoother when you've got a natural left-sided player. So he's uh, for 25 million quid or whatever, he looks to be a, a really smart deal. Mm. I think it was um, particularly noticeable in this game how tired both teams were after about an hour of the game. Um, do you think, I mean, I know both teams were a bit depleted, but are you surprised, Joel, that some teams still don't seem to have got up to speed this season? I mean, there's, there's talk of the you know teams not really having a full pre-season, but they did have like you know the post-lockdown football, didn't they? So it seems weird to me that they're still flagging a little bit after five, six games now. I'm not sure, you know. it's I, I don't know where, where we're going to be at with it because... If you're getting the sort of international football as well, a lot mm-hmm. of these players, especially in Man City and Arsenal squads, you know, going away and playing international football, and I, you do because I did think obviously they had that break during lockdown, the you know March to sorts of what May June, where you know no no one played football, and, and you automatically think okay, that should be you know kind of their pre-season in the way that you know the chance to rest their legs, but you, you obviously you can't sort of you can't sort of. Uh, Judge the fact of the the mental impact of that because obviously it's a scary time for them, a scary time for everyone involved uh, on, on, in the pandemic and what that brought. So you don't know whether that's had an effect on them, and, and maybe that wasn't the break that you, you know you think it is on paper. And I, I don't know. It's, it, this has been sort of coming to a head for years, hasn't it? That we're, you know, they're playing too much football, and and, and maybe we are going to see now the sort of. The, the downsides and the, and the effect, downside effects that because Kevin De Bruyne has been one of them who's, who's spoken out about it for, for a while about how it's it's gonna it's gonna kill them one day and mm-hmm. and he, he goes and gets an, an injury he's out for two weeks for a little muscle injury which he says is going to happen to him is going to happen to loads of players and you know don't forget you know Man City were playing you know later on than everyone else because they're, they're involved in the Champions League so mm-hmm. they sort of had less of a break and I don't I think this is just what we're going to see and I, I think we're going to see it all season I think the stand the Football might actually drop because of it. Mm. We might see more goals because teams are just too knackered uh, to sort of get back and have any concentration uh, levels. But I, I, I don't know. It's 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 a, it's a bit of an issue, and I wonder how many more injuries we're going to see. I, th- yeah. I think it might be a bit detrimental to everyone. Well, I was against the idea at the time because I thought it would it would sort of benefit the bigger teams more than the the lesser teams. But I uh, do wonder now whether bringing the five subs rule in might have made more sense actually, um, yeah, just in terms of keeping these games kind of entertaining. Or, well, not that they're not entertaining, but yeah, there were definitely people would blowing out of 
you know, blowing out of their arse, whatever you want to call it at this point. I don't, I don't blame them at all. Um, we have to talk about the uh, Sergio Aguero, Sean Massey, Ellis incident. What was he up to there, Phil? I've got no idea. Why? <laughs> it was really weird, wasn't it? Like, I understand, you know, if you if you think a decision didn't go your way, then fair enough. I actually think it was a, a Man City throw. Um, but, but why? Why why touch her any anyway, let alone in, in that neck shoulder position and you, you could kind of just see how uncomfortable she was when she sort of wriggled him off yeah. it's just the whole thing was just really you know cringy and awkward to look at and you know I think the calls for a you know suspension and, and things like that are slightly overboard but for Pep Guardiola to not even acknowledge it and say look this was wrong you know uh, we won't do it again we're going to speak mm-hmm. to him about it I just thought that was really sort of bad from him and the club and you know it was just a wholly unnecessary thing to happen and I felt quite sorry for her because she's just trying to do her job you know Mm. and it was kind of an not an aggressive touch but a kind of like sort of power movie touch kind of thing and yeah it was just really weird to look at and he shouldn't have done it for sure yeah I mean you could look at it and say that it was just a a way of him trying to kind of like end the conversation and sort of yeah friendly way I guess but it, I mean it, it always it's always going to look strange when a man is touching a woman in that manner as well mm. um, if it were, if it was a male linesman maybe he wouldn't have done it if it was you know if it was then it probably wouldn't have looked quite as, as strange but yeah. um, I mean the rules state that you should get a yellow card for that even a, yeah, non, yeah. a yeah. non-aggressive uh, physical c- contact with an official is worthy of a yellow card so I'm quite surprised that he didn't get booked there actually but uh, yeah I don't think all this uh, or banning for three matches is quite right personally but, no no yeah. just just acknowledge that he did something wrong yeah you know, and apologize yeah and apologize to her so yeah. totally uh well aston villa continued their fine start to the season with a surprise one nil win away at leicester on sunday night well i was surprised anyway i don't know if anyone else was uh joel should we consider villa title contenders in this season all seasons <laughs> maybe yeah <laughs> well i know they, they, they look incredible by the way they you know the, the game i was covering last night and, and and you know it wasn't a fantastic game but Villa look great every time they go forward and, and they quietly build one of the best midfielders in the league, in my opinion. Uh, where, where you've got Douglas Luiz of doing all the dirty bits and then you've got John McGinn, who's just a really, really rate, really good box-to-box player, but technically good as well. And got one hell of a shot on him. And then you've obviously got you know Ross Bach, he looks reborn in, a, in, a, in Claret and Blue. Um mm. Scored twice now in two games, and and that's sort of rethinking and, and go back on a few things on, on Jack Grealish because I'm, I'm someone who is sort of I, I always I never say he's a bad player, but I, I, I'm always worried about his sort of his level, and I always thought Villa was his level, but the way he started this season, the, the game against Fulham, he was incredible in. Uh, obviously, Liverpool. Let's not mention that, but he was <laughs> brilliant. Uh, one of the best individual performances I've seen from an opposition player against Liverpool, and then obviously does well for England when he actually plays for England anyway. And then, then last night, he just he, he looks like a, a, a man who's just got. <laughs> He knows he can do anything with the ball. Uh, he's doing back heels uh, to set players up where he doesn't need to back heels, but he may as well do it because it looks sexy. It's <laughs> um, incredible. And you know, you know what? We sort of laugh about Villa being title contenders, and it is early days, but and, and they won't get anywhere near the title, okay? But 
I, I do look like a team who can rough up a few feathers. And uh, you know what? I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking in February and March and, and they're still hovering around the top six. Mm. Uh, maybe top four might be out, out of, out of uh, reach for them. But there's there's a good team now. You've got you know, sorry, Tyra Minks at the back as well, who's, who's solid. Um, Dean Smith's built together a really good team. And, and Bertrand Traore, the brought in from Leon, who, who you know what, might can still, you know, he's only played a few sub appearances, but. He's got bags of talent as well, and I'd be excited as a Villa fan. They're going to have a lot of fun this season. Mm. Well, the winning goal came from Ross Barkley, as you said, Phil. The uh, the sniffiness around that signing looks a bit stupider by the week, doesn't it? I don't know. I, honestly, I've always rated Ross Barkley, and mm. I've, I've been slated for it on Twitter. I don't know why. <laughs> Ars- we Arsenal have been linked with him a few times on similar deals, like a loan or you know a cut price deal, and I think he's really good. Obviously, he's a bit patchy. But I think he's got the the build and the physique for English football. He's got he's got an unreal shot on both feet. You know he's powerful when he's driving forward. I think that was a really shrewd piece of business for Villa. Yeah. And I think his you know his link up with with Jack Grealish is going to be a really sort of interesting uh, partnership to watch. And Joel, by the way, Slack has the receipts for your Grealish opinion. So <laughs> I'm digging those I knew out. You were <laughs> I knew you're holding on to that. And the, um, the thing is, and you, you mentioned Barkley there, and, and and his link up with Grealish. And, and the thing is, I sort of trying to defend my case here. But the, the reason why I didn't sort of rate Grealish as being you know, top six and above player in the past is because he was doing it all himself for Villa. He was he's always running the game himself, and and he's playing with with players who weren't at his quality and I don't think it suited him what he's got now he's got sort of Barkley and Grealish look like they they deserve and the telepath he can play together the movements off the ball seeing the pair they, they sort of know what gonna, each other is going to do and, okay don't play two games together but honestly if you, if you watch them closely they, they look brilliant and yeah, I'm going to sort of eat humble pie about Grealish, aren't I? <laughs> um, release him to the world, mate. <laughs> uh, well, Joel, where does this result leave us on the Brendan Rodgers fraudometer that we've been uh, <laughs> that's that's been going all season? It is the fact that it's a weekly segment on, on the podcast says it all, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> don't forget, Leicester's still in the top four after this result. So you can't be doing too badly, but they just seem to do it. They seem to in, in home games where they, they should win. They just you know what? They just don't seem to be able to go over the line, do they? Really? Yeah. Chance by West Ham in the, in the last night. Um, I'm not going to defend uh, Brendan's case, sadly, because um, I know what he's done. He, he signed Ricky Lambert for Liverpool, so <laughs> he's getting no defence from me. <laughs> Uh, well, the biggest derby of the weekend was the Battle of the Birds, which finished Eagles 1, Seagulls 1 at Selhurst Park on Sunday. Uh, Joel, which tackle was worse, Pickford's on Van Dyke or Lewis Dunks on about three Palace players in this game? <laughs> you, you can argue Pickford's being accidental and, and, and just a bit reckless, but the thing is, Lewis Dunks, he looked like he wanted to cause genuine pain uh, to the Crystal Palace players. I think it was on, I think Cahill gets the brunt of it, doesn't it? But there's about three Palace players on the floor and he just goes, oh, you know what, I can't be arsed trying to get back. I'm just just going to try and stab you so. Uh, it's, it's, I honestly don't know, don't know what he was thinking and what he was trying. It's, I don't want to say one of the worst fouls I've ever seen. Cause I, th- I think I would go as far as saying that, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's horrendous, isn't it? <laughs> um, but again, it's, it's the Sunday League elements of the football that we've got this season. That's, just what, that's what you see every week in Sunday League. So, uh, well in, Lewis. <laughs> what did you make of the penalty in this game, Phil, uh, for Crystal Palace for a foul from Tariq Lamptey? Is that the kind of decision that uh, would never have sort of been made in the pre-VAR era? 
they were kind of ho- Maybe. Ho- honing in on this little bit of contact yeah. to go, well, that's a penalty because we've seen it on four different a- angles now. So Yeah, maybe you can say that. Honestly, I think it's soft. Um, I mean, Tarek Lanty's, what, 5'2", 5'3". So for Batshuayi to sort of flop down like he's been shoved in the back by, you know, a, a big bruiser of a centre-half is, was, you know, a, a, a bit frustrating to watch. But I guess his hand shouldn't be on his back anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I don't think that gets given before. But now when you have the benefit of slow-mo and replays, I think um, they have a sort of second chance to, to review things. And and it probably was, again, by the by the law, it probably was a penalty. But if, if I was conceding that penalty... I'd, I'd feel a bit hard done by. Mm. Well, Sergio Aguero does that to Sean Marcielis and everyone's up in arms. Tarek Lanza <laughs> does it to Mitsu Batshuayi and it's a soft penalty all of a sudden. Double standards. Political yeah. correctness gone mad, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a joke, by the way, for anyone listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Roy Hodgson was a bit critical of Wilfred Zahar after this game, Joel, said he should be creating more havoc. Do you think that's a fair assessment from Roy? A bit harsh on, on Sahar, to be honest, because mm. he, he started the season really well. Um, he's actually, his goal returns improving already uh, on, on previous seasons. And I actually think it's harsh on him because Hodgson set up the team the way he does. And Sahar bare, very barely sees the ball. Um, so maybe Roy should take a look at himself and you know try and you know, set up the team to get the best out of Wilfred Sahar because you know, Palace only had one shot in the game, didn't he? And, um, Brighton smashed him to be honest and I, I, don't, I don't think you can lay the onus on, on Sahar completely there I think Hodgson's got some really good tools there he's, he's, he's got Wilf he's got Mishibashiwai and uh, Eze they brought him from QPR in the summer there's, mm-hmm. there's ability there to have a really really good team and, and you know uh, an attacking team as well and I think it's more down to the coach and the way he set them up and why Sahar not getting the best out of Sahar um, you can't just completely always say and lay the, the boot on Sahar's door and, and say you should be causing havoc and, and you should be getting us up the pitch and um, sometimes you've got to look at the approach as well and, and try and get the best out of them so you know Sort yourself out, Roy. <laughs> uh, lovely equalising goal in this game from Brighton's Alexis McAllister right at the end. Did you know that he's Argentinian, but his ancestors come from Fife in Scotland, and he's got two brothers called Francis and Kevin. I love the idea Get of that. Get over for Christmas. Yeah, I love the idea of a guy yeah. called Kevin just cutting about in Argentina. Like. Big Kev. <laughs> Big Kev, Big yeah. Kev. <laughs> uh, finally, Sunday's game at Bramall Lane finished Sheffield United 1, Fulham 1. Uh, I watched this game on Sky Germany and even the German commentators have learned the phrase second season syndrome in respect of Sheffield United. Is it a real thing, Phil? And what's the psychology behind second season syndrome? No, I mean, it's, it's definitely a thing. Um when you're in the Premier League for the first time, you're you sort of find that extra ten percent, and the running is harder, and you know you get a bit of luck half the way, and you know you're an unknown quantity kind of teams haven't quite figured you out yet, and you know they came to the Premier League with this bizarre overlapping centre back system, and everyone was like, what the hell? How do we you know contain these guys? Yeah. Um, and they were so good defensively, um, but now I just think their attacking shortcomings are hurting them a bit. Um, and obviously they've had some injuries. So, I mean, second season syndrome is definitely a real thing. But, you know, it's a bad start, but I think Chris Wilder's an excellent manager and I'm backing him to, to turn things around. So I wouldn't be too worried if I was a Sheffield United fan. Mm. I'm not sure I wouldn't be too worried if I was a Fulham fan. I mean, I wasn't sure about most of the transfer business they did this summer, but I did think Adam Ola-Luckman and Tosin Adarabayo were pretty good signings. And they were both decent in this game, weren't they, Joel? Yeah, especially Luckman. Um, yeah. I've always I've always rated them, to be honest. Um, it's quite surprised when Everton let him go and, and, and didn't sort of put a bit more faith in him because... 
he, he's got the ability to be electric and he can run at players. He can uh, he can take players out of the game with, with his ability and, and his pace. And he, he's doing a lot of bits of that on on um, on Sunday against against Sheffield. He was. He's great, and, and to be honest, I, I don't think there's going to be enough. Though, you know, they've also brought in Loftus Cheek, who, mm. who could, you know, if he can find his form of, you know, 2017, 2018, he could be a really good addition as well. But I just don't think they've, they've got enough to, to stay up. I don't want to write a team off already this early on because it, it, it points away at Sheffield United, a very yeah. valuable point. But even of those new players but also just definitely got enough to, to get anywhere near staying up I think if you're going to write anyone off at this point it's probably Fulham isn't it but <laughs> what do you think about Sheffield United Phil do you think they'll stay up because you know both teams winless after five games yeah yeah I think they'll be okay I think um, obviously it's a bit worrying now um, but I th- you know they'll they'll figure things out Fulham like you guys said I, th- I just think they're going to fall short um, there's obviously doubts over Scott Parker's true potential as a manager. I mean, they, they were not the best, third best team in the championship last year, but they managed to get through the in the playoffs. But I, th- I think Sheffield United have, have enough about them to, to sort of weather this storm. But, you know, it, you never know. A couple more bad results and things can decline very quickly. So um, it's probably best to revisit this at Christmas. But I th- just judging purely on Chris Wilder and and their overall squad, I think they'll be okay. Yeah, so. it's, it's pointless making any predictions in this season, yeah. isn't it really? The most unpredictable yeah. season of all time. Uh, well, that's all we've got time for this week. I've been Dan Burke, and I've been joined today by Phil Costa and Joel Sanderson-Murray. For the next couple of weeks, the Premier League Weekend Review podcast will be coming at you on a Tuesday, so stay tuned for that. Uh, stay tuned also for the Euro podcast, which will be coming at you on Thursday this week, uh, talking all things Champions League and various other bits and bobs. If you would like to get in touch with the show in the meantime, the email address to do so is podcast at 1.4 football.com or you can tweet us at one football.